Coming up, are you more perceptive than most people? And then big time colleges and universities are wringing their hands over the latest rankings. I'll break it down and we're going to coach you up. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life so that you can win in other areas of your life as well. This is the Ken Coleman Show. I'm Ken. All right, question of the day. Do you know how to read the room? If you think you know how, how good at reading the room are you? I mean every room. This is the parent-teacher meeting. This may be your counseling session with your spouse. This is a business meeting, maybe a client pitch. I don't care what the room is and what the goal is. I want to know, do you know how to read the room? Now, some people have a natural giftedness for reading the room. We call this the gift of discernment, right? They just, they can discern what's going on. They have a feel, if you will, for everybody in the room and what's going on. But a lot of people, I dare say the majority of people don't know how to read the room. They miss nonverbal cues. Has this ever happened? You ever been in a meeting where you see someone not reading the room? And not only do they not read the room, they charge full bore into the opposite of what the room is saying they're feeling. I will tell you, and I've got to I've got to protect the names here. I was recently at a uh let's call it a networking event. A lot of influences are in the room. I was privileged to be there. And there was a moment where the organizer of the event uh, went around and called on some of us and said, hey, share a few words here, here, and here. And so uh, the the room was full of athletes and coaches. And and so it's a heavy, heavy sports feel in the room. And and then you had some, some authors like me and, and other people. And so... It was it was it was very sports themed. It was again dominated by people that were in a certain sport, and and so a person got up to say something, and it was very obvious that they didn't know anything about the sport, and they tried to tie in the sport, and it was so painfully awkward. You know, it, it would be like me, uh, trying to talk about interior decorating in a room full of interior decorators and me just trying to talk about the nuances. And, and I try so hard to fit in. Everybody would be going, uh, we're interior decorators. You are not. Why are you talking? And so this person just didn't read the room. Had they read the room, they would have realized, you know, I don't know much about the sport. I probably don't have much to say. And if I say something, it should be something that I know about, not try to, connect everybody in the room on something you know anything about. And it was so painful. Uh, it, was, it was, everybody in the room was uncomfortable except that person. They didn't know how to read the room. And so if you can't read the room properly, let's put this now in a business context. Let me tell you what will happen. You could unwittingly block or disrupt in a negative way the flow of communication in the meeting. Which then would lead to you 
hampering, hurting your ability to get positive results in your job. It could cost you relationships. It could cost you relationships. It doesn't mean that somebody thinks you're a bad person all of a sudden, but may go, hey, I don't want to. I don't want to associate with this person. That was so painfully awkward. What do we do when we're around people that are really awkward? You know what we do? We avoid them. We avoid people that make us feel awkward by their awkwardness. It's just awful. They could be the nicest person in the world, but we go, I I can't bear that. I can't watch them try to carve their heart out with a plastic spoon. That, to me, is how awkward it is. It's like, oh, gosh, that's painful. Oh, stop, right? So you not being able to read the room could ultimately be the lid on your ability to get promoted or, in some cases, get hired. I will tell you something. So many people bomb their job interviews because they don't know how to read the room. They, now, now, let me also say this. Uh, I, I, I fully admit that the job interview is one of the most pressure-filled moments of someone's life, and so you could not be thinking clearly because you're so nervous. But again, you got to prepare for that to the point where you go, look, I'm nervous, but I'm prepared. And for heaven's sakes, I might not have all the greatest answers, but I should probably read the room. So I want to walk through this because reading the room, the ability to discern is a skill that I believe you can improve on if you have something to work with. Now, some people are just so unbelievably tone deaf, it's going to be hard for them. But I think you can do it. And I, I think you can improve if you're bad at being present. Because I think this is, this is a big part of his being present. Now, if you don't believe me, I want you to consider for a moment how fast you can dial in when an emergency goes down in the life of your child or loved one. Now, think about this for a moment. This isn't about capability. It's a matter of choosing to focus. If I get a phone call in the middle of my day, and I'm in a meeting where I'm just checked out, and I'm not reading the room, I'm not engaged, I'm not present, but my wife's on the other end, and something bad happens to one of my kids, I promise you, I'm locked in. I am dialed in, and so would you. So we want you to start to learn this process so that we can begin to build these muscles. So let's start with be intentional. Be intentional. I understand it's not the same level of a loved one calling with bad news. But we can be intentional to be aware of the other people in the room. So the next meeting you go into, I want you to be intentional to look at everybody in the face, even when they're not talking. Look at their face. Read their face. Read their body language. What are they doing? Do they look like they want to be there? Do they look like they're tense? What's going on? Are they excited? Are they in a good mood? Start committing to observing. I don't know how many of you like to people watch. I love to people watch. I'd be very happy if you took me to a mall right now and sit me down and just watch people and just let people walk right in front of me. I, I have time in my life. I got a, my own internal dialogue. It'd probably be a hit on YouTube if we just published my thoughts. Uh, probably wouldn't have a job at Ramsey anymore, but boy, it would be entertaining. So stay present. Fight the desire to check out in the meeting, to go into fantasy land or whatever you're thinking about going home and doing or your next trip or whatever. Read the room. Watch the room. Listen for tone, word choice. 
pay attention to the questions and the statements that are being made. And then if you're nervous, if you've got some fear, you've got some doubt you're dealing with, if that's what's going on, uh, you won't be able to focus on anything else. So to the extent that you can, you have got to put whatever's going on in your world or you're afraid about the meeting and you go, I'm fearful, I'm doubtful, so I'm going to just retreat and go inward. You've got to fight that. Because I can tell you this, mentally healthy people are able to be present and perceive what's going on. Uh, I will tell you candidly over the last two years, parenting teens and and thank God my family's okay and I don't want to portray in any way anything horrific. But I've had some really hard days over the last couple of years, just 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 some relationship stuff with 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 one of my kids. And there were some days where I was sitting behind this big screen behind me in a quiet closet minutes before I went on the air. Praying, asking God to clear my head just so that I could walk in and do this show and serve other people. If I can do it, you can do it. I've got ADHD on steroids. My mind is going 150,000 miles an hour. And there are times where our heart is hurting, our brain is on fire, but we have got to choose to be present. Now, why does all this matter? Because the more that you become intentional about reading the room, reading people around you in every area of your life, the more you will see and the more you will see, the easier it will be for you to navigate that situation. Reading the room is a superpower. Just like a dog can smell anything, you'll begin to smell what's going on in the room and you will be able to adapt to that and you will be able to win big with others by simply learning to read the room. Start practicing it everywhere you go, even in the grocery line. Start reading everybody in line behind you. I think you're going to turn into a great game and you're going to gain a lot from it. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, I want you to stop right now and just listen to this. I want you to imagine life four months from now, but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Thrilled to have you with us. If you're enjoying the show, I would love for your help to help us grow. If you're watching via YouTube, would you like the videos that you are watching? Subscribe to the channel and share the videos with someone you believe will benefit from them. If you're listening via your favorite podcast app, follow us uh, and give us a five-star review and share as well. All right, so uh, let me set this up, this 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 article I'm about ready to, to get into. For those of you that are new to the program, 
and and this will help you understand why I'm going to tell you about this article. I have been telling you for a long time that colleges and universities have been colluding with government officials for decades to sell you a message which is increasingly becoming false. It was never completely true, but they got a lot of people to, to, to play the game, and so they made it true that, that a degree is the best way to become successful. That's why, for decades, a lot of companies would require that you have a college degree for a white-collar job. Why? Did it make you better than anybody else? No. It's just what everybody did because that's what they were told, right? So we look down on the trades. We look down on men and women that don't have a degree as though they are less than, and that's just a bunch of garbage. And we said, well, if you got a degree, you're going to be more successful. Not true. The degree doesn't guarantee anything. You still got to go work and be great. And so we created this false dream for the American people that if you go get a degree, you've done something special. I'm not taking anything away from anybody that has gone out and got a degree. I, in fact, I would say to to our brothers and sisters that grew up in the lower class that, that had to overcome so much to do it, that alone is, is worthy. But it's not the degree. It's that they hustled and they did it. It's not the degree. The degree is just a piece of paper. It's become about status, not about success. That's all it is. It's status. It's a status symbol. And so here comes this story. And I've been telling you. A college degree is about status. A lot of parents want to tell all their friends and family members, well, we're so proud of Junior. He just got a degree from the state school, and we're just so proud of him. You know, and if Junior had gone to a welding trade school, what's Junior doing? Well, he's trying to find his ways. He's out there welding. I'm telling the truth. You know I'm telling the truth. It's total garbage. Maybe your kid loves welding, loves working with his or her hands and head at the same time. I mean, this is just nonsense. So anyway, more evidence that I'm right, right here. Vanderbilt, this is the headline, Vanderbilt. This is in the shadows of Nashville, okay, right here in our, our home area. Vanderbilt, big-time school, academic. You know, if you walk on the Vanderbilt campus, your pinky goes up. It's crazy. Uh, you're not even trying, just out of control, just goes up. You know, the air is a little richer over there. By the way, incidentally, I uh, lecture, I did a, they asked me to come uh, to the Vanderbilt campus and speak to some grad school, grad school students. I mean, irony of ironies. Lower middle class Ken Coleman. No college degree. College dropout Ken Coleman. I get invited to Vanderbilt. And I'm talking to all these med school grad students. I mean, these kids have got more intelligence in their pinky toe than I have in my entire brain. And yet they wanted me to come in and help them figure out which direction they were going to go in life. What? After all that money and all that time, you got to get this clown in there? What does that tell you? All right, here it is. Headline, Vanderbilt doubles down on criticism of U.S. News and World Report college rankings. University leaders are calling the methodology of the ranking, quote, an attack on the very notion of academic excellence. My pinky finger just went right up. Just whoop. Why is Vanderbilt and other college and university bigwigs so distraught? 
because apparently U.S. News and World Report, which for decades has done a college and university ranking, and it's nothing more than marketing. And so all these colleges get all excited about it because they get out on the list. And so they're the top choice of all these parents and kids, and they're just racking in the tuition money through student loans, and it's big business. That's why this is this is a big deal. So apparently U.S. News World Report, Alex, changed their rankings. And so, so Vanderbilt dropped in the rankings. <gasps> Horror of horrors. Vanderbilt dropped in the U.S. News and World Report rankings, and the administration is upset. You know what they ought to be upset about? How crappy their football team is. That's what they ought to be upset about. If Vanderbilt wants to make more money, and all these schools want to make more money, you would do better having a good football program. But you're the doormat of the SEC, and you suck. But what what are they worried about? Are they worried about a competitive football team? No. They're worried about their ranking in a stupid magazine that, by the way, nobody reads. Do you know anybody that reads U.S. News and World Report? I challenge you. Walk around for a week. You won't find one person. Nobody reads magazines anymore. Anyway. Vanderbilt stayed in the top 20 nationwide, but they fell five spots, and this has got them all upset. They overhauled the system, did U.S. News and World Report, with their ranking eliminating measures like class size, meaning smaller class size, better, professor qualifications, the more degrees, the better. And then they added in things focused on how much student debt the students had and other socioeconomic factors. So the Vanderbilt chancellor is all upset. And he says the figure that they chose to drop Vanderbilt in the rankings, uh, that this is skewed because they were focusing on how much student debt Vanderbilt students had. But he says, well, that was only among students who take out loans. The average doesn't include students who don't need to take out loans due to hundreds of millions of dollars in need-based aid that Vanderbilt awards annually. Okay, fine. Uh, So he goes on to say, these rankings are scaring people away. Oh, woe is me. How many of you join me in feeling so sad and outraged that Vanderbilt has dropped five spots but still remains in the top 20 schools on U.S. News and World Report's rankings? Do Do you all hear the sarcasm in my voice, I hope? This is the dumbest case of outrage I have read in some time. Five spots. Meanwhile, inflation is raging through our country. We have people who can barely afford groceries and gas. We have nearly $2 trillion of student loan debt. I could go on and on and on. And these eggheads from their ivory towers... By the way, it occurs to me, Alex, I probably won't get invited back to Vanderbilt after this, but I'll be okay. Let these these, these eggheads care more about their fortunes and their futures. I'll tell you what they're worried about. This guy's not worried about students being scared away from Vanderbilt. This guy's worried that he may have to drop his tuition. They're worried about status. They're not worried about educating young people. They're not worried about success. Of their students, they're worried about their status. This is so egregious, this boo-hooing over dropping in the rankings. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm a football fan, so some of you, this may ring hollow. 
I love college football. I could understand if Vanderbilt was undefeated in the SEC and wasn't ranked in the top five. Let's say they knocked off Georgia. That would be worth a letter because people care about college football. Nobody cares about the rankings of colleges and universities. This is all a scam. It's all a luxury tax. That's what the federal student loan program is. It's a luxury tax. Even if you can't afford it, we go, we're going to let you go to school. We're going to send you some federal money, and we're going to put a nice interest rate on it that you may never be able to catch up to. By the way, why is the federal government putting interest on loans? Anybody? Thank you, Nathan. He gives me the money sign. That's why. The federal government's not a bank. So if the federal government cared so much about our next generation getting educated, they'll give them the loan, but no interest. I see cars doing it all the time. Zero percent interest for what? Why is the government of all things charging interest? There's a question that we need to be asking. Why are we saying the Biden administration saying they want to forgive student loans? And yet while they're posturing politically, they're allowing kids to sign up for student loans as I speak right now. So some get it. Some don't come on folks. I don't care what party you subscribe to. I don't care if you call yourself a liberal or a conservative. That ain't right. If if loans are so bad they need to be forgiven, why are we still giving them out? Period. I'll tell you why. It's a luxury tax. It's a hidden tax on the American people, and it's out of control. we got to do something about it. And this kind of crap right here, please, spare me, Vanderbilt. Spare me. You're going to be okay. Go have yourself some high tea and crumpets, and calm down, Chancellor, and maybe think about why you're in this game to begin with. It's ridiculous. This is the Ken Coleman Show. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one way to win at work is to do work that you care deeply about. Like, you actually give a crap about it. It's meaningful. But what do you do? How do you do that? Well, you got to dig. You got to figure out what is that? What is in my heart? So I ask people all the time, who are the people you really want to help? So you got to spend time on that. So how would you spend maybe an extra hour a day? Is it about reading a book, listening to a podcast like this or something else? Is it a new skill? Is it coffee with a mentor? Is it yoga? Maybe, maybe not. But can I make a suggestion? If this is about the heart and doing meaningful work, I think therapy can help you find what really matters to you. Your life, your life experience, environment you grew up in, pains, victories, that shapes your heart. And if you're thinking about therapy as, well, I just got to have something really bad going on in my life, I think you're missing it. I want you to try BetterHelp. Just try it. Therapy isn't just for people who are going through trauma. It's really great for awareness, self-awareness, to be able to build skills, to take that awareness and transfer it into work that really matters to you. And boy, will that change your life and your income. BetterHelp's awesome. Because they're flexible enough to fit your busy schedule, and it's all online. You fill out a short questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch at any time for no cost. Listen, folks, I do regular therapy. I can't endorse it enough. It's about awareness, and awareness is a superpower. So make time for what makes you happy. Use your time with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ken today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ken.
you were created to fill a unique role in your work. Period. That means you are really valuable, but that also means you've got to do it. Because if you were created with intention to work, to contribute to this world, that means that somebody out there needs you to show up and give your best, so this is not an option. People who understand their created work don't quiet quit. Because they go, that's that's cheating me, and it's cheating the people that I could be helping. Interesting. Uh, so anyway, uh, if you believe that's true, but you're going, okay, Ken, what's that work? What is that work that I was created? How do I figure that out? We've created a wonderful tool that hundreds of thousands of people have used now. It's called the Get Clear Work Assessment. It'll measure what you do best. That's your talent. It'll measure work you love to do. That's passion. It will measure the results that motivate you. That's mission. So when you use what you do best to do what you love to produce results that matter to you, you're on purpose. And this assessment will give you that, a detailed report, a deep dive. It's a self-awareness tool that will give you the clarity and confidence and the courage that you need to step out. So go get it, kencoleman.com slash assessment, kencoleman.com slash assessment. All right, so we've got another viral video. Um, A week doesn't go by that we don't have somebody going out on TikTok, good Lord, save us all, uh, saying something about what they think about work. Now, this one is interesting. The team brought this to me. So we're going to play it, right, and I'm going to walk you through this. Because uh, I've got an article here where uh, this gal talks about this. But this is very interesting. Let's roll this. All right, tell me why working a corporate job feels like a full-time acting gig. Like, why do we just show up every day pretending that our genuine passion in this lifetime is the growth of the business? And, like, why do we go into meetings using really sophisticated language just to prove to everyone how smart and polished we are when we know we're not using that language outside of work? Like, is it just me? All right, so I love this. Bless her heart. Young gal. She asks an interesting question. Because she, she poses this idea that I'm going to work and I'm acting. Well, you're not. More on that in a moment. She's not an actor. An actor goes on set and portrays another character. But this is the analogy that she's using. But this is the question she asks. Why do we show up every day pretending our genuine passion in this life is the growth of of the business. Okay. Well, let's break that wonderful question down, shall we? It is rooted in all kinds of immaturity, and God bless her, she's young. Okay? So, uh, I, I think it's an interesting question. So, a lot of people like this video. So, let me walk you through what's wrong with the question. The question isn't, why do we show up every day pretending to have this genuine passion about this business that I work for? Well, that's not it. Well, first of all, we shouldn't be pretending that we have a passion for it. We should be showing up every day, grateful that we have a job, understanding that it provides us income, and then, because of that income, a stability to be able to say, do I want to climb this ladder or do I want to change ladders? What is the direction of my life? So you shouldn't work. look at a job as, I've got to go in and pretend to be passionate about making the company money. That is so misguided. Now, I absolutely believe that if you come to work at Ramsey Solutions, for example, that you should be genuinely passionate about helping people. Let's just leave it there. Baseline. Uh, 
care about helping people because Ramsey Solutions is in the business of providing solutions to help people. So you should say, I care deeply about doing a job that indirectly or directly helps people. So baseline, that's what I've got to do. Now, do you have to be passionate about the baby steps and all the money stuff to to win here? No, you don't. You can come in and with integrity and say, I believe in the system. I wasn't passionate about it before, but this is a great opportunity to come do the type of work I do for a company that I believe in. So I believe in the company and I want to help people. Am I jumping around all day long every time Dave talks about baby step three? No. But 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 that's not the point. So there's no pretending. But but wait a second. What if what if you love helping people and you love coding? Doing that kind of, you know, technology type coding and all this stuff. What if you love that? Okay, great. You shouldn't come in and pretend that you're that you're passionate about making the company a bunch of money. That's silly. You should come in and genuinely go, I know that my work is making a difference in the lives of people. I enjoy the work, and I think this is a good company, and, and I'm happy to be here. I'm grateful to be here. That's it. So the company making money leads you to an opportunity to grow. You have to stay at a company for the rest of your life. Nobody does that anymore. But understand, young people, listen to me, understand, you aren't, you're coming in and your sole existence in your job is to make the company money. That's so misguided. How about the fact that you get to make a good contribution to somebody, even indirectly, if you're not dealing with a customer directly, you're indirectly making the lives of other people better. That's the first thing. Secondly, you're providing for yourself. Third, you're growing skill and experience, setting yourself up for the future. There's this mindset among this younger generation that they are somehow some type of indentured servant for these companies where they just have to show up. No, you don't. You don't owe that company anything. You know, an indentured servant was someone that literally was a servant for someone to pay their debt off. You don't owe these companies anything. Young people, you don't owe them anything other than do the work that they've asked you to do in order to receive pay. Other than that, you don't owe them your lifetime loyalty. That's not a, I must pledge my fealty like it's a king. No. But have some character. If they pay you to do a job, do the freaking job. And if you want to leave, bless bless you. Go. Leave. But there's it's become this victim mentality, and it's thus us versus them, and all this garbage. And I see it here. I mean, listen to this quote. She goes on in the video. It doesn't feel like we can really live our lives when we're so drained, especially mentally, sometimes physically, from the character we play at work. What in the world are we talking about? Now, if she had said, I feel physically drained because of working long hours, I feel mentally drained because my boss doesn't train me, doesn't speak into my life, doesn't encourage me. I say, yeah, leave. That will drain you. But you're drained by this character that you play? What are you talking about? You're making all this up. You're not playing a character. You know what you are? You're a team member. And if you play a sport and you're on the team, 
you got a job. The coach goes, I need you to do this on the team. And that's what you do. You don't walk around going, I can't play this sport anymore because it's I'm I'm playing a role and coach wants me to play linebacker and I just can't I can't do it. What is this nonsense? Now this is the feeble minds of this young generation. They're so weak. They're so terribly weak because they've made everything about drama instead of this is life. I got to come in and do a good job. If I do a good job, I get to keep my job. If I do a good job, I got a chance to get promoted. I'm not playing some role. I'm not faking it. If you are, leave. Go somewhere where you can do the role with some genuine authenticity and effort. Folks, help out that young person in the office. They need a mentor. They need to be coached. Put your arm around them. Just teach them how to do life because apparently their parents have it. And they're so freaking stressed. And that's stressing the rest of us out. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.